The Democratic Party has become a parody of itself. At least that's what the article from the Daily Wire says. But I was reading this and I felt like it exemplified a lot of what I was seeing recently, especially with the Democratic debates. Now, I've typically railed on the far left. And usually when I do, I'm referring to the woke, identitarian, authoritarian nonsense we often see coming from Democrats and people like Ocasio-Cortez, the squad, and then being embraced by people on stage. But I started thinking about it recently. And I think far left is often conflated as socialist because it's typically the socialists who embrace the woke ideology. So it's important to kind of break down and explain what's really going on. And I think the best way to do that is, well, kind of like what Josh Hammer did over the Daily Wire. The Democratic Party is becoming a parody of itself. It's not that they're embracing far left policy, but they're embracing more extreme versions of what you'd expect the Democrats to be. It's almost like a caricature. Someone's drawing a picture of Democrats and they're exaggerating all their features. But that's what I see on the debate stage. Take a look at, say, like immigration policy. You'll get someone like Obama saying, hey, let's help the dreamers. Let's create a path to citizenship. What the Democrats then do is one up it. They're not going necessarily further left. They're just creating a more extreme and kind of satirical version of the Democrats are supposed to be. It's funny because it's typically what you'd expect of a Republican hit ad, right? If Democrats propose, say, you know, helping the dreamers, you'll hear some outraged conservative saying, oh, they're advocating for open borders. And then we see the actual escalation to where the Democrats actually are now embracing ridiculous policy positions. We also have what may be the most absurd parody of the Democratic Party in this boycott ABC campaign. Basically, a non-white woman criticized socialism and she was called racist. It's, it's like a joke. And I think that's why you see so many people put the clown world emoji on everything. Certainly, this can't be real life, can it? And I think that's why we see so many comedians now coming out and slamming the Democrats because they've become a parody of themselves. Well, let's do this. I want to take a look at Josh Hammer's thoughts on the matter because he's kind of brought a bunch of these points together. But I do have a bunch of stories to go through, or a couple at least, to talk about, yeah, the Democrats are starting to sound scarier and crazier than regular people. They're, they're sounding like a joke. You know, it's one thing to come out and say, hey, we need common sense gun reform. And then people argue over what it means. And then Beto gets up on stage and goes, take them all, take everybody's firearms. And there, and there it is, a parody. It's something you'd expect from Saturday Night Live. Well, let's read the story. Before we get started, head over to TimCast.com slash donate if you'd like to support my work. There's a PayPal option, a crypto option, a physical address. But of course, the best thing you can do is just share this video because I'm going to be broaching. I'm going to be talking about topics that are going to get me in trouble on YouTube. YouTube's going to derank the video. And also, you know what? Let's put it this way. Let's break some echo chambers. The algorithm is going to feed this video to people who pretty much agree, right? By you sharing it, Someone who probably wouldn't be shown this video otherwise will get to see it. Let's read from the Daily Wire. The Democratic Party has become a parody of itself. Last night, Beta O'Rourke doubled down in rather colorful fashion on his vow to confiscate from law-abiding Americans their cherished rifles, whose cosmetically amorphous and technically undefinable features led leftists to uh, peculiarly label them so-called assault weapons. Hold on, Josh. That also includes your regular old handgun. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47, O'Rourke said, to enthusiastic audience applause, as the Daily Wire's James Barrett reported. 
Last night, furthermore, communist loon back. Okay, I'll tone down the rhetoric. Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren each doubled down in their joint defense of a one-size-fits-all socialized medicine national healthcare takeover that would, in the estimate of fellow 2020 presidential contender Amy Klobuchar, strip over 140 million Americans of their privately held health insurance plans. Now, I want to stop here. Hammer's being a bit too bombastic for me. Come on. We should tone down. They just There's no reason to insult them as we try to criticize them, so I won't do that, but I will stress this point. In a previous debate, they asked how many people wanted to ban private health care. And my, my understanding, because again, it's been a while, Kamala Harris agreed with it and then later like issued a statement disagreeing with it. You see, what's happening is it's not so much about going too far left. It's about one-upping each other on the same policy. So, it, you know, if you said, hey, we want to have some kind of public option, then all of a sudden someone says, no, we should only have a public option. We can ban all private health care. And it's like a really extreme version of the Democrats we're offering. It's not always far left, right? Confiscating people's legal products like Beto wants to do, that's authoritarian. You could be right, left, whatever. As long as you're an authoritarian, you would do this. It is just an extreme version of talking about common sense gun reform. Let's read on. They say, Joe Biden, the purported moderate in this health... I'm, I'm, I'm having a lot of trouble reading through this, but we'll, he's, Joe Biden says, no one uh, po- parroted last night that no one will lose his doctor under Obamacare ruse, a ruse that is which was literally exposed by left-leaning PolitiFact as its 2013 lie of the year with respect to the very underlying health care plan Biden now haplessly touts. So you get the point, right? Julian Castro then talks about, you know, trans females getting abortion rights. And then you get Bill Maher saying, they're scarier and crazier than Trump. He's right. Now, this is what I talked about in yesterday's video. But Bill Maher made an important point that is exemplified in, in, in a much less, I don't know, crude fashion than Hammer. The Democrats are just sounding scarier and crazier, talking about all of these things the average person doesn't know or care about because they're constantly trying to one up each other and go more extreme. It's not necessarily more far left to talk about trans females having abortion rights. It's just a more extreme position of saying you're in favor of rights for LGBTQ groups. So he one ups the the policy. Castro one ups the policy on dreamers by saying decriminalize border crossings. He's just trying to be like, oh, yeah, well, well, I'll do this. In a desperate bid to separate themselves, they've embraced insane policies that have gone too far. Beta O'Rourke's call for complete confiscation? That's insane. It's a dramatic one-up, and most Americans don't agree with that. Who are you trying to impress? I honestly have no idea. It's like, as I said earlier, someone is doing a Saturday Night Live sketch, but this is real life. Let's bring it back to the latest news. Boycott ABC trends after debate night over ad against socialism and Ocasio-Cortez. This ad was put together by a woman who is Cambodian, and she was called a white supremacist. Check this story out. They say, calls to boycott ABC News, ABC News, have risen following Thursday evening's 2020 Democratic debate over a commercial featuring a picture of New York rep AOC burning. That's it. It's a picture of AOC, a fire starts, and then it shows horrific images of Cambodia. I've, haven't there been ads like that before? I mean, with like a, a picture burning, like whatever, who cares? Is it that big of a deal? Well, look, I have no problem if people say, hey, burning a picture, a step too far. Okay, 
I don't care too much. I don't see it, but I'm willing to hear you out. Until Ocasio-Cortez steps in herself, and what does she say? Republicans are running TV ads, setting pictures of me on fire to convince people they aren't racist. Life is weird. But, but it, was, it wasn't a white woman who made the ad. I'm just, I just, the point is, it's like a caricature. You get a Cambodian woman in the ad saying that she is not white and not racist. And how do they respond? On cue, as if it was a, a political cartoon or a comedy sketch, you're racist. It's, it's, it's like, we're, it's, it's just pure insanity. You know, there's a story from uh, the Daily Beast talking about, this is the, talking about young people of color joining white supremacist groups. That's literally a skit from Dave Chappelle like 10 or 15 years ago. We all saw it. Clayton Bigsby, the black white supremacist. It was a joke. And now they're doing it. it it's, I, don't, I don't understand how they expect to win. If they're going to take an ad from this Cambodian woman and call her a racist because of it, well, then it gets difficult because AOC has to respond to the fact by, that the ad wasn't put together by white people. Know that this wasn't an ad for young conservatives of color. That was the pretense. What you just watched was a love letter to the GOP's white supremacist case. Is it a joke? The woman who put it together isn't even white. Look, man, I, I, you all know I'm like moderate, right? You can advocate for the far left and I will listen. I've talked to communists. If you want to talk about social justice, I get it. I'm willing to hear the argument, but this is like a comedy sketch. It is not based in reality. It's, it's, it's like a, a, it just makes no sense, man. They are taking a policy, right? So, so you look at the Democrats for the longest time have been saying like, hey, racism is bad. We got to fight against it. And now they've taken it all the way up to satirical levels, a parody of what the Democrats were in the Obama era. It's like they don't have any real strategy. And it's funny that I'll go back to the, the tweet I was going to show you before. AOC tweets, GOP's message, no policy, no facts, just displays of violence, plus corporations like ABC Network and Sinclair, Sinclair who amplify them. They profit from burning my likeness on TV, but who pays for heightened security? Who answers the phones for the threats resulting from a violent false ad? Okay. A violent false ad. ABC Sinclair. It's just, they're criticizing someone for criticizing socialism. And they're acting like this person is a white supremacist. So you want to ask me about policy? You want to say who actually is, is entertaining policy? It's not you. You're using regurgitated talking points from a long time ago. Obama can step up. And he can say something like, we've got, we've got to make changes in this country because they don't actually have any policy solutions for the American people. Like, how do we fix the healthcare problem? How do we do better uh, foreign policy? They don't have any answers. How do we solve the border crisis? Well, the Democrats ignored it for so long. It got worse. So what do they say? I don't know. Um, Elizabeth Hang, the Cambodian woman is a white supremacist, I guess. How is that legitimate debate? How is that policy position? That's just, it just doesn't make any sense. Elizabeth responded, not Republicans. And this is to the um, AOC's tweet about the GOP's love letter to white supremacy. She said, not Republicans, me. Are you really calling me a racist, AOC? I'm calling all Democrats out for supporting an evil ideology. Or are you just in Congress to hang out with celebrities and tweet out ridiculous ideas like the Green New Deal? Elizabeth Hang then said, AOC, uh, AOC response is the Democratic Party in a nutshell. They are more offended by truthful words than acts of their political ideology that has killed millions of innocent victims. I don't care about AOC's feelings. I care about stopping her lies about the lies, uh, 
her, uh, uh, I care about stopping her lies about the lies of socialism. So here we are. They're now calling for a boycott. They're calling for a boycott because a commercial ran and they're acting like it's white supremacy, racism. Yeah, okay, you get it. It's like a big joke. Nothing seems to make sense anymore. The Democrats aren't necessarily embracing the far left. They are, they are. So, so let me explain. As they try to amplify the past positions of Obama or like a popular message, and they try to one up each other, they make it more extreme. Sometimes that results in a policy going super far left, like, hey, let's just ban all private health care and go full, full on government everything instead of public option. So that is going to the far left. But when you call a woman of color a white supremacist, it's not necessarily far left. It's just not based in reality. And they've been continually doing this. Now, we often associate this with the far left because it is AOC and these far left activists who are embracing this weird one-upsmanship that results in clown-like nonsense. But I think it's important to, to show the difference. But let me show you a couple different stories. While they're simultaneously claiming that people like Elizabeth Hang of, it's called, what is it called? New Faces Pack, which is trying to highlight people of color who are Republicans. We see this story from the, from the American Spectator. Trump's, why Trump's approval ratings are up among minorities. Polls increasingly show they have improved dramatically in key voter blocks. This is from August 19th. There was another poll from Zogby and I think Rasmussen both showing that Trump is doing really, really well, really well with minority groups. So I have to ask what's going on. Why is it that you get Rashida Tlaib and Ocasio-Cortez and all of these woke Twitter Adi people acting like a Cambodian woman is a racist? It's like Bill Maher says, they are becoming scarier and crazier than Trump. Meanwhile, people in this country are finally having enough. And that's something truly, there's something to behold here. Comedians are demolishing progressive thought police and it's driving the media nuts. Yeah, let's, let's, let's see. We got Ricky Gervais, Dave Chappelle, Bill Burr, Bill Maher, uh, Joe Rogan. Hey, there's five top comedians at the top of my head. Now, Bill Maher is very political, but you get it calling out the insanity. What does that mean? I think it means that regular people have had enough. I think it means that we can see the Democratic Party on the debate stage has become a parody of itself. I think the simplest way to put it is that if you took what Ocasio-Cortez said about Elizabeth Hang, it's like out of a sketch from Saturday Night Live, where you just have someone screeching white supremacist all day and night. AOC recently saying Miami won't exist in a few years or something to that effect. So when you get Dave Chappelle coming out and ragging on you and people seem to love it, but the critics are, are furious. Here's the Rotten Tomatoes from Dave Chappelle for those that are listening. 31% tomato meter, but a 99% audience score. Yeah, because we're tired of it, man. I don't know what's gonna, what's, what it's going to take to wake up the Democrats. And you know, even as someone who's been a fan of Yang, I rolled my eyes. My eyes were rolling so hard, I, I passed out from dizziness. When Yang announced the sweepstakes to win $1,000 a month by going to his website. Look, man, um, I've never been a big fan of UBI. His is a bit different. I think it's very important to, to draw a distinction here. Universal basic income typically is perceived as a taxpayer-funded venture, where, which, which makes little sense, whereas Yang's plan is a dividend. Uh, it's essentially a, a, a VAT tax on ma- massive international corporations that would then pay out to the American citizen. So it's different. But let's be real, man. How absurd is it? First, 2016, we end up with a reality TV celebrity president, Donald Trump. Now, I I get it. Trump was successful and famous before doing the reality TV thing. I totally get it. But you see the point. He's a celebrity. He wins. Well, I got to be honest. 
started with Obama. Obama was a politician, but he acted very much so like a, like a celebrity, and they called him a celebrity politician. So then you actually get a celebrity. You get Trump. Now, he was a businessman. Then he became a celebrity. And now we have Andrew Yang. As much as I appreciate that he's got a, a, a lot of plans for domestic policy, and he's really thought, thought it through, and I've been a fan of his, this was the next level. The, rea- the, 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 the TV sweepstakes president, it's all just one big joke at this point. Seriously. Look, man, you can offer up the UBI thing. I get it. You can say we're going to do the dividend to show people what's going on. But I really don't see Yang as having done that. Offering 10 people a thousand bucks a month by going to my website is just a contest to win your support. It's not actually educating. I guess technically you could argue, you know, I think he's arguing that by telling, you know, it's incentivizing people to come to my website and learn about my policies. But come on, he's offering cash, cash for the vote. And that's where, that's where we're at. You know, people have said the Democrats are socialists for a long time. And, you know, it was, it was the boy crying wolf. Perhaps many conservatives will regret now having screeched socialism for so long when you now literally have a guy on the debate stage offering a thousand bucks a month to 10 families if they go to his website and and sign up. Again, I I, I think it's important that Andrew Yang talks about automation because there was recently like a viral video about cake decoration where robots are are doing art and stuff like that, you know? So yeah, it's, it's a serious issue. I'm glad he's on the debate stage, or I should say, I feel like I'm being let down by Yang. You know, staying in line with like basically what we're talking about, the caricature, the parody of Democrats, you can call them socialist. You can talk about how they want to, you know, they're going to confiscate your weapons. And then Beto comes out and says, yep, they're socialists. And then they come out and they're literally like Green New Deal. Guaranteed, guaranteed, you know, Bernie Sanders is a socialist. Ocasio-Cortez is a socialist. It's not that they're going far left. It's that they've become so extreme on the Democratic platform. I don't understand why anybody is going to want anything like that. So, so you know what? I don't want to, I don't want to just keep spinning in circles here. I'll make the, I'll, I'll finish off the final point. What Bill Maher said the other day, they're looking scarier and crazier than Trump. They're becoming a parody of, oh, I'm sorry. They're, they're a parody of themselves. All of the, all of the things that conservatives threw at Democrats 10 years ago, they've run with full, full confiscation, violation of 2A. We're talking about abolishing private health care. We're talking about guaranteed government jobs and housing. And then you finally get someone on stage literally just being like, hey, whatever, man, I'll just give you money. Ding, 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 ding. Win the sweepstakes. So you know what? There you go. We get the politicians we deserve. I think Trump's going to win 2020 because as, as, as crazy as he may seem to many, many people, he's not as crazy as, as, the, as the rest of them. And you got even Bill Maher saying it. Michael Moore apparently like, challenged him on his show saying, you were so good, Bill Maher. Why are you stopping? And Bill Maher is like, dude, you guys are going nuts. Whatever, man. I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment will be coming up at youtube.com slash timcastnews at 6 p.m. Thanks for hanging out. And I will see you there. I think it's fair to say that humans are causing a dramatic change in the ecosystem and the environment of our planet. And it's very dangerous. We hear stories about plastic in the ocean, dead zones in the ocean, fishery collapse, deforestation, and climate change. I think all of these things are really, really bad. We need to make sure we can maintain a balance. Otherwise, we destroy ourselves. Humans will eventually just terraform this, or maybe terraform isn't the right way to, to put it. I think that's more about making it habitable. But we're doing the inverse. We're poisoning our world and our environment. But I want to make sure I stress 
I think people like Ocasio-Cortez and Greta Thunberg are doomsayer conspiracy theorists who are like, you know, when I, when I hear about them, I imagine someone standing in the street with their hair all messy, holding a sign, yelling, the end is nigh. And it may be, but you don't panic. When there's a disaster or an emergency, don't panic. That's like the first lesson you learn when dealing with emergencies and, and, and a crisis. Don't panic, calm down. Let's work it out and figure out a solution. What do we get now? We get just absolute ridiculous rhetoric. Come on, man. Even if this stuff was true, it doesn't help that Ocasio-Cortez and Greta and other people are running around waving their arms in the air, shrieking at the top of their lungs. And of course, cue the left going, stop making fun of a child, Tim. Dude, don't put a child in front of your protest march if you don't want the child to be criticized. She's, she, she can make up her own mind and she can get criticism for saying stupid things. But first, we're going to deal with the adult in the room, Ocasio-Cortez, who apparently thinks Miami will no longer exist in a few years. Okay, let's just stop. First of all, Miami has flooding problems. They do. They're, 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 there's been videos. You know, I lived in the, uh, uh, in the Miami area for a little while and it happens every so often, but no one really seemed to, to be that alarmed by it to the point where... People are still buying property on Miami Beach and investing in it and setting up companies there. And I have to wonder, are all of these people insane or is the, is the threat being overhyped? Listen, I think it's insane right now to think Miami will no longer exist in a few years. It's possible. I don't want to have an optimism bias, but come on, man, slow down. Ocasio-Cortez predicts Miami will no longer exist in a few years if the Green New Deal isn't passed to combat the effects of climate change. All right, let's play this game. Let's say we pass the Green New Deal. Will Miami be saved if it's going to not exist in a few years? The answer is no. You know why? Because China, India, and other countries pump out greenhouse gases like nobody's business. And so what are we supposed to do? We can have international agreements. They don't care. They're in a race for the economy. So we may, this may be the great answer to Fermi's paradox. You know, that is the question of if the universe is so vast, where's the intelligent life? Like, why haven't we seen it? And so there's a bunch of different answers typically involving a species destroying itself. Maybe we can't get to the point where we can come up with an actual uh, agreement with other countries to solve the problem. That to me, disconcerting. But this isn't a solution. If you're going to come out and say Miami will no longer exist unless you pass my socialist plan, I'm going to be like, uh, sorry, that doesn't deal with the effects of China and India. We need a larger international agreement. And I think you can eschew, just get rid of the race-based vagueness and like whatever it is you're talking about with guaranteed jobs, like socialist stuff. Not interested, dude. You know what really, really offends me about all of this just insanity? The Green New Deal, particularly, is that when you come to someone who actually campaigned on behalf and fundraised for environmental nonprofits, and then you say, well, what we really want to do is guarantee job, school, health care, and racial equity. I'm like, that has nothing to do with the environment, you manipulative, duplicitous swine. I should avoid insulting people. But come on, man. Ocasio-Cortez urged people to support the Green New Deal. She predicted that Miami may not exist in a few years due to climate change. Is that so? Well, I've got a question for CNBC then, advising me to invest in Miami. How dare you? Something must be wrong. I can't tell you what, 
But if you're going to have CNBC tell me to invest in Miami, look at this story. I, I just Googled it. It took me two seconds to find this. The best place to buy a home in Florida is not Orlando or Palm Beach. Sean M. Carter. Well, Sean, what might the best place be? He says, uh, 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 Orlando and Palm Beach are two of Florida's most popular destinations. That doesn't make either of them the best place in the state to buy a home. That's according to financial website GeoBanking Rates, which use data from real estate websites Zillow and Area Vibes to find the best place to buy a home in every state based on the quality of the area and sort of value you can expect based on the local housing market. They say the top place to buy a home in the Sunside Shade, The Crossings, a town of roughly 22,700 in Miami-Dade County. It's about 40 minutes away and 20 miles south of Miami. That's right. 20 miles south of Miami. Um... I'm pretty sure south of Miami is like the Keys. I lived southwest of Miami. The point is, I've looked at the floodplains. I was looking at property there. I lived there. It rains a lot. And there's something interesting about being told to live in the Miami Beach area if climate change is going to wipe this out. Now, it's possible. It's entirely possible that this financial advice is just bad financial advice because they're not taking into account climate change. Wouldn't the first thing you'd expect... Uh, you know, from anyone trying to deal with climate change is to address loans and interest and business. Here's the big question. Like, when I think about who is really, you know, what, what problems really exist, I think about those who seek to gain financially. So take a look at betting markets for um, politics. Should I trust the polls or should I trust Las Vegas? Can the polls be wrong? Yes, and they have been. And who suffers when those polls are wrong? Yeah, basically nobody. The polls are wrong all the time. I mean, technically the polls were right uh, in 2016 to an extent. You know, people often assume the polls were completely wrong. The aggregates painted a false picture. That, that, that's the thing. It's like if you have a 1% chance to win something and you win, well, that was the 1% chance. So a lot of the polls were wrong, right? They predicted like a 10-point lead by Hillary Clinton. Rasmussen, on the other hand, said Hillary Clinton would win by two points in the popular vote, and they were right. When the polls are wrong, no one cares. But what about when financial bets are wrong? What if Vegas is wrong? They stand to lose a lot of money, and now there's something actually on the line. So it's curious to me. Are these websites telling people to invest in Miami? Are these, you know, banks that are not warning people that their city won't exist in a few years? Aren't these... uh, misleading people and taking advantage of people. Maybe that's it. No, no, for real. Maybe it's it. I saw this. Uh, there was this clip of this guy. He said there should be, you know, in every prospectus, a warning that if you buy property in Miami, it will be destroyed by climate change. And they don't do that. And why? Well, I think it's silly to claim that climate change is a lie simply because someone else might try to exploit someone else financially. But I do think it's an interesting point that Ocasio-Cortez, like, these climate activists who, who wave the sign saying the end is nigh and Miami will cease to exist, never go after, never talk about the people who live there. It's so easy to sit in your chair and say Miami might not exist. Well, you realize there are people who live in Miami, right? And a lot of them perhaps should be talking to them, figuring out how they think and talk with, I don't know, local scientists to figure out what's actually going on. Instead, we get a politician from New York saying Miami might not exist. Okay. And then you know what that brings us? I, you know, let, let, let me read. Let me read this quote just so because I didn't. They say New York Rep. 29 made her chilling warning about the effects of climate change at the NAACP forum on Wednesday. What is not realistic 
is not responding with a solution on the scale of the crisis, because what's not realistic is Miami not existing in a few years, she said. Okay, now, of course, they're going to say she was saying it's not realistic. No, no, no. That's the point. The point she's making is that Miami might not exist soon. Now, here's what really bothers me. This is an older story. This is uh, what from uh, January. Our house is on fire. Greta Thunberg, 16, urges leaders to act on climate change. And the reason I'm highlighting this old story is because she said this. I want you to panic. This is the most insane thing. And it bothers me a lot. Listen, I can stress to no end. I believe we must act to protect the environment, but we have to come up with real solutions instead of telling people to panic and telling them Miami's not going to exist anymore. Adults keep saying we owe it to the young people to give them hope, but I don't want your hope. I don't want you to be hopeful. I want you to panic. I want you to feel the fear I feel every day, and then I want you to act. That's right, because when you screech in the face of a child over and over again about Miami ceasing to exist, they'll feel fear. And then they'll get angry and saying, why aren't you doing anything about it? Perhaps you should stop listening to those who are telling you to shriek and panic and run. And you should be a bit more stoic, calm, make a plan and try and figure out what the best thing to do is. Look, man, maybe Miami won't exist in a few years, but this extremist doom saying isn't going to help anybody. It's just so insane. Look, let's say the climate change stuff is the, the predictions they're ma- they make are correct. Let's say AOC is spot on. Miami won't exist. Well, there's going to be a reckoning for all the financial markets, all the banks and all the lenders who told people to buy property there. And then we have to realize that, well, let, let, let me say, let, let, me, let me put it this way. You're not going to convince somebody who just spent, I don't know, $300,000 on a new condo or house alone, I should say, that they got to pack up and leave and end their life there, take a huge financial hit, relocate, find a job because you think Miami will no longer exist. It's not a solution. Are you going to offer up some? How about this? How about for the Green New Deal? You say you're going to the first thing you can. Okay, I, I got it. I got a solution. Let me ask you this question. Why is it that the Green New Deal wants to guarantee jobs and health care and college? How about the Green New Deal? No, no, no. And hear me out. The Green New Deal says we are going to rapidly transform the economy. We're going to invest in green technology. But the first thing we do is allocate tax money to relocate Miami. I ask Ocasio-Cortez, if you think Miami is not going to exist, how about you propose a bill that offers up a plan of evacuating Miami because it might not exist in a few years. Shouldn't we be evacuating people? Shouldn't we be putting on laws to restrict moving to Miami? Of course, they're not going to do that because, come on, man, is Miami going to sink? Probably not. I'm not a scientist. I don't know. But I imagine if we were really facing a crisis like that, people would actually be talking about it and doing something instead of Ocasio-Cortez trying to scare you getting someone like Greta to say, I want you to panic. And then when you're like, okay, I'm freaking out. Miami's sinking. What do we do? She says socialism. And I say, what? That doesn't solve the problem of Miami sinking. What are you talking about? You told me Miami was sinking. So, okay, let's evacuate Miami. We only got a couple years. We got to relocate millions of people. And they go, socialism, free healthcare. Okay. um, I guess after Miami sinks and people are drowning and disease ridden, the free healthcare will help. Okay, I guess after they're forced to relocate as refugees from their home city to uh, neighboring northern cities, the free college will uh, help them, I guess, guaranteed housing and all that stuff. So, yeah, is that their plan? 
the first thing that's going to happen if Miami sinks is people are going to die. So how about your Green New Deal says we're going to invest in pulling all of our coastal cities, which is admittedly like what, like it's, it's like 80% of the U.S. population lives on the coast. Let's bring them all inland. Let's just bring everybody, right? You know, you know what? I just, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of the hyperbole. I'm sick of the nonsense. And most importantly, Ocasio-Cortez's proposals for the plan don't solve anything. Talking about racial equity is not a solution to Miami sinking. These people are crazy. Because at the very least, assuming Miami does sink, they have done nothing to solve the problem, to save lives. They have proposed nothing to solve the problem or save lives. And that's why I don't trust them. Somebody who worked for Greenpeace, worked for the, the uh, Environment America organizations. I worked for about, I, I think, I, so I worked for three environmental nonprofits and there was one that was doing sustainable farming. You know, it was a more roundabout approach for the similar, similar problems. I deeply care about nature, about preserving the green and the beauty and making sure humans can survive. I think pollution is a problem. I think climate change is a problem. But I think you don't win over hearts and minds by wiggling your arms in the air and shrieking, you must panic. Miami is sinking. People look at you and go, dude, uh, you're crazy. I'm going to end by this and uh, saying this because I, I brought this point up before, but I really like the point. Okay, listen, if I go and stand in town center in Miami, wearing a nice polo and khakis tucked in and I got a little clipboard and I smile and reach out to shake someone's hand, they'll shake my hand. And I said, listen, you know, we're concerned about the effects of climate change, rising ocean, uh, uh, oceans do. Oceans are going to rise due to the heating of the oceans. It causes water to expand. It's complicated. And then you have Greenland melting, which is going to dump fresh water into salt water and, and could um, screw up with the Atlantic, with, with, a, with uh, ocean currents. It's a complicated, complicated problem. But water could rise due to the expansion of water as it uh, uh, gets warmer. Water expands when it gets uh, war- warmer, and it also expands when it freezes. So uh, what we can talk about that, right? Someone might listen and they might say, that's a, that's a good point. Thank you for your time. But if I come out and, I, and, I'm, and I'm like telling somebody, they walk up to me and I say, Miami is sinking. It's not going to exist in a few years. I need you to panic. They're going to look at me and be like, dude, get it. you're crazy. So assuming Greta and AOC are correct, they're going about it in absolutely the wrong way. And there it's, I'm done. Stick around. Next segment will be coming up in a, a, at 1 p.m. And I will see you all shortly uh, on this channel. You know, I don't often like to claim that people are overtly evil. I usually give people the benefit of the doubt, and I've given praise to some Democrats I think have crazy plans and policies. I've talked about how amazing it is that AOC, you know, is going to work with Ted Cruz on um, revolving door politics stuff, lobbying after Congress and Alyssa Milano. There are people I disagree with, but I'm willing to respect if they engage in legitimate conversations and actually... They, they come off as though they really want to do something right. Beto O'Rourke is the opposite of this. Beto O'Rourke stands for, well, I don't know what he stands for. When he announced his campaign, he didn't have anything on his website. It was blank. And it seems like he's a product of the media. So first, let me just tell you, uh, we'll, we'll do this story. And then I want to talk about the evil that is Beto O'Rourke. And I, and I really do mean it. I really do. Democratic Senator warns O'Rourke AR-15 pledge could haunt party for years four years. You know, there are a lot of blue states that are pro-Second Amendment. Bernie Sanders comes from one. They're up in the Northeast where they're not urban environments. They're rural environments, but they lean blue and they understand why they need to protect their homes. Most Americans live in a home or they, they either own a firearm or they live in a home with one. 
That's at least according to one study I pulled up. It, it could be wrong. It's a, it's, it is an extreme minority of people that own multiple weapons and own the majority of weapons. But a lot of people in this country have had contact, you know, in some capacity. Beto O'Rourke is a product of the media. He doesn't stand for anything. He is a plastic, evil opportunist. And I say evil, and I really do mean it. Now, I, I come from a philosophical perspective where I don't believe good and evil are necessarily like a tangible or I should say static, right? A lot of people have a different perspective of what is good or evil. It doesn't change it for the most part, in my opinion, but I think it's a, it's, it's a nuanced conversation. Some people will tell you there is no good or evil, only perspective. Morality is subjective to an extent, to an extent. There are many things that we would consider to be sort of malleable in terms of morality. Should this drug be legal or not and why? And we argue about it. That just shows you right there that not everything is set in stone. But there are some things that are rather universal, or at least almost entirely universal, like don't lie to people, uh, don't kill people, things like that. So it's not, it's not just that. So, so here's, what, here's what I mean by evil. Beto O'Rourke only cares about himself. He is only doing this for himself, and he will destroy the Democratic Party if it means he gets his way. He is a failed candidate. He is failing now. And his only last-ditch effort is to latch onto the fear and anger of mass tragedy to try and get some gains in the polls. Talk about vile, disgusting, and evil. Is he going to solve problems? No. Is he going to make them worse? Oh, you betcha. Does he know? I very well believe, I, I believe he knows exactly what he's doing. Look, Recently, Beto O'Rourke called on master uh, on credit card companies to suspend the legal tr- legal transactions for uh, for uh, firearms, something that is constitutionally protected. You want to argue about changing the law? We can argue. That's the way the process is supposed to work. But when Beto O'Rourke can't get anything done, what does he do? He calls on credit card companies to just circumvent constitutional rights because they're a duopoly. Yeah, Visa and Mastercard basically control everything. Granted, I know there's Amex and there's Discover, but come on, let's be real. Visa and MasterCard have a stranglehold on the financial markets. So what does Beto say? He doesn't care about the law. He doesn't care about democracy. He cares about saying whatever he needs to say to gain in the polls. He is a vile, disgusting human being. Look at what Visa posts, okay? So Beto just recently called on them, not, not directly, but credit card companies, now we have a statement from, my, it looks legit to me, Visa, uh, us.visa.com. Visa urges Congress and administration to enact bipartisan solutions to prevent gun violence. Now it seems a bit, I don't know, like not really calling for anything, okay? But they're definitely addressing, well, I should say it seems like they're addressing Beto's call for tech control. Beto O'Rourke doesn't stand for anything. Let's read a little bit of the story uh, and, and I'll continue to rag on the guy. The Hill report Senator Christopher Coons on Friday warned that Beto O'Rourke's pledge the government will confiscate semi-automatic AR-15 rifles will become a rallying cry for gun rights groups for years to come and haunt the Democratic Party far into the future. Quote, I frankly think that clip will be played for years at Second Amendment rallies with organizations that try to scare people by saying that Democrats are coming for your guns. They are. Beto just proved it. Beto doesn't care if the Democrats win or not. He doesn't care if people in blue states like Maine, which has some of the most lax firearm laws in the country, he doesn't care if those Democrat voters have their say. All he wants to do is pander for the activist vote so he can gain in the polls. He doesn't care about what Americans want. He doesn't care about what Americans need. 
He just wants control because he is a hollow nothing of a candidate. He was running for the Senate in Texas. He lost. The only reason he was even close to winning, at least in my opinion, is because the media and Hollywood types were propping him up and saying all these great things about him because they wanted Ted Cruz to lose. Well, Ted Cruz won. Beto O'Rourke lost. Beto then decides to use what little media power he had gained to run for the presidency. And he's got nothing. He has nothing to campaign on. He is a nobody. He is hollow. He is void of, devoid of anything worth talking about. So what does he do? He embraces the most overt and destructive things he can say. You know what? Forget the whole debate. Forget the whole conversation, he says, as he calls on massive tech companies, financial companies, to circumvent the law because he couldn't get changes made. He goes on the debate stage. And what does he do? Every chance he gets, he talks about mass tragedies to use the pain and suffering of others for personal gain. Talk about slime. Let's read on. Coons, an ally of former Vice President Joe Biden in the Democratic race. This is what he told uh, Poppy Harlow in an interview. O'Rourke, a former member of Congress from Texas, received loud applause at the Democratic debate in Houston on Thursday when he declared, hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. We're not going to allow it to be used against fellow Americans anymore. When you really understand what the end game of the left is, it's literally mandatory buybacks, or as I call it, confiscation. This is a step-by-step process for them, said Ron Johnson. Uh, He told The Hill when asked about the debate over expanded background checks for firearm sales. Coons, who is working with Republicans to pass more modest gun control measures, scrambled on Friday to contain the fallout from O'Rourke's statement. I don't think having our presidential candidates like Congressman O'Rourke did uh, say that they're going to try to take people's guns against their will is a wise policy or political move. So I'm, I've, been re- I've been talking to some people I know who are Democrats, and they start parroting the same rhetoric from people like Beto O'Rourke. We cannot allow weapons of war on our streets. We don't. We don't. They're actually illegal. AR does not mean assault rifle. It means Armalite rifle. And it's, for the most part, a brand, my understanding is. I'm not a gun person. I'm probably going to get a lot wrong. Hear me out. But at least I try to understand. Assault rifles are selective fire. That's what's used in, 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 in the theater of war. In the United States, we have just semi-automatic rifles, which means you load it, you pull the trigger, a bullet comes out, and then another bullet goes in the chamber, and you can pull the trigger again. What they've done is they've conflated semi with fully. They've not explained to people why fully automatic is bad anyway. They're not actually talking to people about what their plans are. And make no mistake, Beto O'Rourke is not talking about just taking AR-15s. The bill proposed, the, the, the assault weapons ban would ban handguns, most of them, almost all of them. I think the only legal thing you'd have is like lever action rifles, bolt action, single load, and revolvers. So they want to get rid of almost all guns. That's, that's, that's what they're working on. And Beto, let, let's be real. He doesn't care about this. He's from Texas. Maybe. He doesn't care about any of this. He knows Texans are gun loving people. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about the debate. He doesn't care about the Democratic Party. He just wants to personally gain. And that is evil. That is slime. You, look, a lot of these crazy left wing activists aren't doing it necessarily for personal gain. They'll lie, cheat, and steal because they think they're doing something good. The path to hell is paved with good intentions. Beto O'Rourke, on the other hand, is burning down the Democratic Party with extremist rhetoric that means nothing because he wants something for himself. That's what he wants. What? what, what this is, 
It's as evil as I've seen. They say, Toomey on Friday praised Coons for calling out O'Rourke. I agree with Chris Coons. Coons. This is an awful and extreme idea, Toomey tweeted in response to O'Rourke's statement. Thankfully, there's not enough support in Congress to do it. But this rhetoric undermines and hurts bipartisan efforts to actually make progress on common sense gun safety efforts like expanding background checks. Congratulations, Beto. You've shown this country, you have no idea what you're talking about, that you will capitalize tragedy for personal gain, and that you're going to completely uh, just subvert bipartisan efforts and the actual debate so you can so you can at least have something to say. Why? Because you're nothing. You're a sheep costume wearing terrible singer. Okay, that's what that's that, that's what I see when I see Beto. He's nothing. He is a hollow blank nothing. He launched his campaign with nothing on his website because he has nothing to offer. And he's desperately searching for why he matters. As soon as the Senate Senate race was over in Texas, what, did ba- what happened? The media walked away from the guy. They never cared about him. He never offered anything in the first place. The media wanted to prop him up so he'd beat Ted Cruz. And so do these Hollywood types who abandon him the moment the race is over. And now who do they get behind? They're going to get behind Warren, Kamala Harris, maybe Biden. Beto O'Rourke is just wasted space. Drop out. He shouldn't be there. He shouldn't be, he shouldn't be there. I'm, I'm going to leave it there. Stick around. Next segment will be at 4 p.m. on the main channel, on my main channel, youtube.com slash Timcast. It is a different channel, and I will see you all there. MSNBC has jumped the shark a long time ago, and it's not just my opinion. We have an ex-MSNBC host accusing her former network of overhyping Russia collusion narrative. Now, here, here's what I'll say to, to kind of simmer down, Washington Examiner. This is from Crystal Ball, who I believe is with The Hill TV, and I think she's absolutely fantastic. I, was, uh, uh, I, I really appreciate her commentary coming out and saying, in no uncertain terms, MSNBC hurt the left. I really respect that because I agree. And I think we need to be honest about what they're doing. I'm going to come back to this, but I want to make sure I stick to the lead, which is the most insane MSNBC. Micah Brzezinski pushes the idea that Trump isn't Barron's father. Okay. Morning Joe co-host Micah Brzezinski floated the idea Friday that President Donald Trump might not really be Barron's father. During a segment recapping Thursday evening's Democratic primary debate, Brzezinski made the suggestion and then pressed the issue when her co-host and husband, Joe Scarborough, tried to change the subject. Thank you, MSNBC, for once again showing us that you guys are off the rails, Alex Jones level, whatever you want to call it. It's just, it's, it's gossip, nonsense. Please, this is what we get. You know what? We get what we deserve. I can't, MSNBC, never, never one to be outdone will go from Russia, Russia, Russia. And when they're all out of that, maybe Barron isn't really Trump's son. And you know why? Because apparently Trump said something like Melania has a son. Oh, dude, we're going to get into that. Okay. Because I want to, I want to focus on that story, but I do want to talk about, I want to lay some context down and talk about Bill Marshall the other night with Crystal Ball laying into MSNBC and talking about how they hurt the left. And then because we already understand the Russia stuff, we'll move into the weirdness of claiming Barron isn't Trump's son. Before we get started, head over to TimCast.com slash donate. If you would like to see more content like this, I could use your support. There's a PayPal option, a crypto option, a physical address, but of course, the best thing you can do is share this video because I'm on the internet. 
I don't have one of these big fancy TV networks. I'm actually competing against MSNBC, who is getting propped up by YouTube. I kid you not. We look at the data. YouTube pushes that content and deranks this channel. So there you go. Let's read the story. So again, if you like the content, please consider sharing it. They say former MSNBC host Crystal Ball said on HBO's Real Time with Bill Maher Friday night that she believes her former network has done more to hurt the progressive cause than help it throughout President Trump's time in office. Do you feel networks like MSNBC help or hurt progressive causes? Host Bill Maher asked Ball on the show. Overall, I think MSNBC in the Trump era, and, and, and of course, hold on, you can see that she's trying to very delica- delicately say this. It's not easy to speak up again about your former colleagues. So it's respectable when someone is willing to do it and try and be respectable as they do. She said, overall, I think MSNBC in the Trump era has done real damage to the left. And I'll tell you why. Damage, Mar interrupted with surprise. And I say that with love. I mean, these are my former colleagues, friends. I mean, look, the Russia story and what happened there was important, but it was not all important. And they went so far into the realm of conspiracy theorizing. I mean, they had Jonathan Chait on. She gets cut off. Bill Maher says it was a conspiracy. It was. It was, a, it was, a nut. It was nuts. You know, Bill Maher then goes on to talk about how Mueller didn't go far enough. Okay, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to that. I disagree, but we'll get to that. She says they had Jonathan Chait on to talk about how Trump may have been a Russian plant since 1987. What is this? He may have been, Maher said. I think Maher said it somewhat facetiously, though. This is ridiculous, okay, from Ball. This is way out from what journalistic facts said, and it's to the exclusion of other stories that people actually care about. Thank you, Crystal Ball, hitting the nail on the head with the hammer. I don't care about your stupid conspiracy theories. I don't care about a server that pinged a Russian bank in Trump Tower. I don't care. It sounds nuts. It's a waste of time. Okay, okay. I'll walk it back. Go ahead. Do an investigation. But MSNBC, talk about policy. They don't do it. It's my biggest complaint about everything going on is it's so easy to understand the conservative point of view on issues because the left won't address it. And I blame MSNBC and other outlets. Crystal Ball talks about health care uh, and other issues that come up. She's actually trying to get back into the issues that will be beneficial to the left. Thank you. You know, what's the saying that people have brought up? An eagle needs two strong wings to fly. You need a good right and a good left, a strong argument on why positions must be that diversity of opinion. They go to battle in the marketplace of ideas, that phrase, and, the, and to the victor go the spoils. But if the left is just screeching about Russia and conspiracy nonsense, well, it's just going to waste everyone's time. She noted several other prominent issues unfolding at the time and accused MSNBC of not focusing enough attention on them because the network was tuned into one thing. She said MSNBC intensified expectations about former special counsel Robert Mueller's report to such a degree that many people thought it was not as big of a deal when the report was actually released. New York Times opinion writer Barry Weiss agreed with Ball's assertion, saying the hype surrounding the report meant anything short of a P-tape was nothing. Thank you. Listen. There were so many other issues going on at the time. But, but you know what? I, I know I want to lead with this story, but I really thought that was fantastic because there are so few people who come on the left or from the left that are willing to point this out. They are not the Democrats. The media are not focusing on issues Americans care about. They're chasing after the woke Twitterati. 
They're talking about Russian conspiracies because they're chasing after Twitter. Thank you, Bill Maher, for hosting this panel. But now we can see just how far MSNBC has fallen. Micah Brzezinski pushing the idea that Barron isn't really Trump's son. So I read this already. Let's, uh, let's jump down. Scarborough wrapped up his assessment of former Vice President Joe Biden's performance by saying that overall, the Delaware Democrat had done well despite a few minor gaffes. I've thought he had, I, I, I thought had he a good night. What? They wrote that wrong? I don't know. Get a copy editor. He said, adding, I will say though, we're going to have a new segment on Morning Joe and it's going to be called Adventures in Syntax. Oh, okay. <laughs> we're going to have Donald Trump yesterday in the White House st- uh, talking about Melania's son and mumbling the word together, Scarborough continued. Maybe it is Melania's son, Brzezinski chimed in. Scarborough said, it is Melania's son. <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> what are they doing? Yes, it's Melania's son. That's what he was saying. It was just her son, Brzezinski pressed. That's just what he said. Let me get back to Biden because I don't know what you're saying. Scarborough tried to change the subject, but never let a good conspiracy go unused. He didn't remember Barron's name or, Brzezinski continued, just stop. Scarborough's trying to stop her. We'll let the tape play itself, okay? Brzezinski was not the only Trump critic to seize on the president's turn of phrase. Mediaite. Trevor Noah rips Trump for his bizarre, she's got a son reference to Melania. Barron, how on earth does Trump forget that he has a son? He didn't. People all the time talk about their wife's kid in reference to their kid too. It's usually meant to be, it's usually said in a way that's like, you know, well, she, she's, it's, it's her kid when the kid does something wrong. Okay. I, I, is this not normal? I feel like I've seen this where the kid will do something and the dad will go, your kid just let the dog out. And the dog broke through the fence. My kid. It, that's the point. Now, I get it. Trump isn't in a circumstance where he's like, you know, be mean about what Baron Barron's saying. He was talking off the cuff. She's got a son. Trump seems, it's like, you know what, man? Why is this news? Why am I even talking? About it? Well, okay, I'm talking about it to criticize MSNBC and the, other, and, and the media outlets because it's just insane. The president made the comment Wednesday while discussing the possibility that his administration could ban flavored vaping liquids. You know, for years we endured insanity. And I was hoping after Russia was over, there would be some return to normalcy. While I can certainly thank some commentators like Bill Maher, like Barry Weiss, like Crystal Ball for speaking up and pointing these things out. Maybe Bill Maher's show is like the last good show the left has, okay? But you get all these media companies. Trump will say something and they will extrapolate to an extreme and insane degree. It's what Alex Jones does. Alex Jones goes on the Joe Rogan uh, podcast and he's like, you know, 5G technology is going to give people tumors. And so they're going to do hybrids so that people can survive the 5G. It's like, okay, here's what he did. Something happened. He then wildly assumed why and for what reason. And that's what he does. Now I get it. That's just Jones and Jones is an entertaining character. Here we have what is supposed to be the credible mainstream press. Trump says what? People outside were soaking wet, bad weather out there. And they go, what does he mean? He means it's raining. We assumed that. We have no idea. Like, that's all the information we have. So we're going to extrapolate to an extreme degree and then say, ha, Trump, but it wasn't raining. This really happened. I kid you not. I I, I covered it a couple days ago. 
People were soaking wet because it was 88 degrees and sunny. But Trump says something and they just twist it in any way possible. How insane and absurd. And you know what? Here's what we're looking at. The one big story, the Russia insanity and the little story. Trump muttered a phrase and all of a sudden now they're saying he's not the father of Baron. Oh, man. I'm done. I just it's just such silly. I got a couple more segments coming up for you in a few minutes. So stick around and I will see you all shortly. A video has been going viral showing surveillance camera footage of a man in downtown Minneapolis being beaten and robbed. And it is a brutal and graphic video. If you haven't seen it, trigger warning. And I mean it. I'm not one to actually, you know, entertain these fake trigger warnings, but this is legit. This is a dude being beaten, stripped, run over with a bike, jumped on, kicked, punched, robbed, all of these things. Some people might not want to see that. So I give you that warning. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people are blaming Ilhan Omar personally for this, saying it's her district. What is she going to do about it? Well, come on. She just got elected in 2018. I know that she was a local politician. Minneapolis is starting to face problems, and I can't tell you why. I can't. I, I, I don't know. I don't live there. I can read this story, however, from ABC5 Eyewitness News and then show you this story. Back in Omar's district, police deal with gangs, relations with tight-lipped Somali community, gang activity. I'm not going to tell you what's causing it, but it's happening. Let's read the story from, from uh, Eyewitness 5. Before we get started, however, head over to TimCast.com donate if you would like to support my work. When dealing with stories like this that are contentious, I could get in trouble. YouTube doesn't allow these kind of conversations, but it's a news story from a credible source. That means they make it demonetized, deranked. So two things, support my work through PayPal, a, a cryptocurrency or a physical address, or share this video because YouTube is definitely not going to, you know, they're, they're going to derank it. Let's read. This is from September 11th. The Minneapolis Police Department has arrested more than a dozen suspects involved in a crime ring that focused on robbing cell phones from intoxicated people and then beating the victims. According to a report provided by Minneapolis police spokesperson John Elder, a three-day sweep conducted two weeks ago, excuse me, ended with police arresting 16 people between the ages of 13 and 25. The suspects were seen on surveillance video punching, kicking, and riding over one man with a bike. The robberies occurred near Hennepin, 1st and 2nd Avenues between 3rd and 6th Street, and happened between 10 p.m. and 3 a.m. The suspects were mostly boys and men with a female sometimes present. They would finesse the victim, looking for an easy target, such as someone who is intoxicated and alone, Looking at their cell phone at times, Elder said half of the assailants are juveniles. I want to I uh, expand upon this finesse thing. My understanding is that this is something we, we dealt with in Chicago with gangs. They surround you and they quickly frisk and pull everything out of your pockets and then disperse. You don't know who grabbed what or why, and they don't often hurt you. They just surround you and push you, and then you're disoriented, and they take all your stuff. Let's read on. One of the incidents happened on August 3rd near Target Field. According to the criminal complaint, the footage shows approximately 12 males attempting to take a cell phone from a male victim, viciously beating him. The suspects are seen ripping the victim's shoes and pants off and then going through his pockets. The victim is noted to be punched and kicked in the head several times throughout the altercation. At one point, the complaint states the victim is thrown to the ground, left motionless, then repeatedly jumped on, hit with planting pots, and ridden over with a bicycle. Once police arrive, the victim and all suspects involved are gone. Then, on September 6th, after further investigation, officers recognized one of the assailants from the video and arrested him. 
He is identified as Boris Likuo Lasumbo, 20. The video shows Lasumbo running toward the victim along with other attackers after the victim was struck by another attacker. He was seen picking up something off the ground that the victim dropped and walked away with. Lasumbo admitted it was him in the video to the police. He has been charged with first degree aggravated robbery and faces up to 20 years in prison for the crime if convicted. In another incident on August 17th, a man stated to police he was out with friends at a bar in downtown Minneapolis when he was robbed and assaulted. He claimed he didn't remember much of the incident because he lost consciousness. This is kind of weird, though. Uh, Let me explain. It says, according to the criminal complaint, the victim said he was standing on a corner using his phone when a group surrounded him and tried to take his wallet. He said he lost his iPhone and his wallet, which contained his driver's license, debit card, keys, and $100 in cash. He also was notified by his bank that $220 was withdrawn at an ATM using his debit card. He was left motionless by the group and was uh, eventually assisted to his feet by bystanders. How did they know his PIN number? $220 is also a very specific amount to withdraw. It's possible it's all he had in there, but how did they get his PIN number? So I don't know. I just want to make sure I point that out. So here's the thing. I, I always hate how they try and lay everything onto Ilhan Omar, right? It's like there was one story that said woman goes to Ilhan Omar's home country and then gets like killed in in an attack or whatever. And it's like, dude, Ilhan Omar is one person and it's a whole country. She's not like, uh, the point is just because it's her district doesn't mean it's her fault. There is an interesting point here, however, though. This is specifically within the Somali community, which does include Omar, who was elected by the Somali community. In which case, there are problems that she probably needs to speak up and deal with because she has influence in this community. Now, I know a lot of people like to get very, very racist whenever you talk about stories like this. And so another reason I want to talk about this is to point out, don't be surprised when poor communities commit violence. Okay, I can't stand the racists when they try and make it seem like it's 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 a racial issue and not a, a refugee or poverty issue. You can be a refugee from any country. You can be poor and of any race. And the story I tell you about being on the south side of Chicago was not because of Somali refugees. It's just poor people in gangs. And that's what happens when people are poor. They join gangs, they commit crimes, they sell drugs. Crime and poverty are linked. But, you know, it's frustrating to me when I try and explain this to people. This is what's so frustrating about this is that I know how this story will be framed. The reality is, listen, it's fair to point out if we bring in a large community of refugees, you will see crime, not because refugees themselves are more likely to, to, to commit crime, but that poor communities see higher crime. If you bring in refugees, people without skills who aren't working, you will see an increase in crime. At least that's the general assumption, and it tends to happen. Because of this failed policy, you end up emboldening racists. What you could seriously, what, what you could really do, and what they've started doing in Sweden, is not putting everybody in the same community so you create a ghetto. You have to spread people out and help them integrate and get jobs. I absolutely think taking refugees is a good thing. We need to help people who are desperate. And there's certainly a lot of people in Somalia who are desperate, and we can help them. But these people who offer these plans don't actually care. They bring in the Somalis and they say, go for it. Nothing gets solved. People are now in a foreign country. They don't understand and they don't have the resources. And you see young people turning to crime. Now, look, I think part of it, especially this video, was arrogance and gang power, right? 
this group of people are with their friends and they know they can do whatever they want because there are more of them and one of him. So you end up seeing this. You're going to end up seeing gang violence. And it's very similar to what we saw, what I saw in Sweden. They put all these people in areas because basically they were like, if you come to this country, you can live wherever you want. Naturally, people want to live with their friends and family, but that creates a cultural clash where people are viewed as outsiders and struggle. And then young people being angry and not caring about the system, feeling they're not a part of it, turn to crime. Let's read a little bit about what's going on with this Fox News story. This is from February. They say, in the dead of the cold, late late night on Tuesday, a young Somali man was shot in the hip. Someone took him to the local trauma center, left him there and drove off. The man told police at his bedside that he didn't know who shot him, who took him to the hospital or why he was targeted. I'm intoxicated, he told the cops while doctors tended to his wound before insisting he didn't know anything else about what happened. For the attending police officers, it was a frustrating, albeit familiar response from a member of the Somali community, whose support in November sent one of their own, Ilhan Omar, to Congress. While Omar has spoken out frequently and forcefully on a range of issues, some that seem little connected to her district, most members of the Somali community she represents remain far more insular. They say the national epidemic of shootings involving young African-American men in America's cities certainly isn't unique to Minneapolis. But some officers here believe issues of cultural assimilation involving the Somali immigrant community and a struggle on both sides to better communicate law enforcement's mandate to protect and serve make it a particularly imposing challenge, one that politicians like Omar, they say, could do much more to effectively address. Spot on Fox News. Cultural assimilation issues. Failed policy. And I got to say it, a lot of people on the left just say, bring in the refugees, and they don't talk about what happens next. And then you get this. Don't be surprised when, you know, people who don't understand what's going on turn to racism because they don't get it. They don't understand why they're seeing this particular community doing this thing. And they assume race is the driving factor. When in reality, if these people were wealthier, they'd not be doing this. They'd be protecting their wealth. I don't want to say, you know, definitively, because you have to recognize too, culture plays an issue. A big, big, uh, culture plays a, a, a part. What did I say? Picture? Culture is part of the picture. Okay. So if someone comes from a culture that glorifies violence, then they'll engage in that. But if you, if you give these people a real opportunity, plan appropriately and properly for bringing in migrants, you will see less of this. Instead, what happens? Viral video of Somali gangs beating and robbing people. And this does nothing for anybody. You certainly didn't help the refugees by putting them in this position. They're not helping themselves by engaging in, in, in crime and beating people. And you're not helping the people of Minneapolis. No one is being served by this. Certainly, I will lay the responsibility at the hands of those committing the crime for sure. And then after they're responsible for the crimes they committed, I will ask those who, 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 who offer up these people to come here without a plan. Why aren't you planning for this? Not for crime, but for, for assimilating people and, and it's like I said with Sweden, they learned they have to spread people out and, and place them. You can't just create ghettos. I got one more segment coming up in a few minutes. Stick around. I will see you shortly. Of course, Joe Biden is a racist. Joe Biden is a white man. That's about the only criteria. I know. Oh, I'm sorry. I got to stop myself. Everybody's racist. If you say anything at any point that the left doesn't like, even if you happen to be on the left. One of the things I highlighted in my main channel video is that a Cambodian woman, plainly not white, was called racist by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, 
who then goes on to say that it was a love letter to white supremacy. So then it is no surprise to me and presumably anybody else that Joe Biden is being called racist over his response to a question about reparations in the Democratic debate. Let's read the story. Before we get started, head over to TimCast.com slash donate if you would like to support my work. There's a PayPal option, a crypto option, a physical address, but the best thing you can do, share this video, especially when we're talking about Joe Biden being racist. You know, YouTube's not going to like that, huh? I don't, I don't know what YouTube's supposed to want. I honestly, I guess they want me to make videos of like guinea pigs, like, you know, running around and eating celery or something, because certainly I shouldn't be talking about the 2020 presidential race especially when people are calling Joe Biden racist. Let's read the story from the Daily Caller. Former Vice President Joe Biden is being criticized by some members of the pundit class after he gave an allegedly racist answer to a question about reparations during the Democratic debate this week. During the debate Thursday, ABC's Lindsey Davis asked Biden a question about reparations for African-Americans, to which the Delaware politician gave a long meandering answer. At one point, appearing to tell black parents to play the record player for their children. First of all, uh, Joe, what year is it? Uh, but uh, actually, it's a really funny point someone made. Vinyl outsold CDs, you know, because people buy records because it's like, I don't know, nostalgic or something. I guess it sounds better. And nobody buys CDs anymore. So maybe, maybe, that's, maybe Joe Biden's actually a hip millennial. He's, he's with it, you know. We bring social workers into homes, parents to help them deal with how to raise their children, Biden suggested. He continued, it's not what it's not that they don't want to help. They don't know quite what to do. Play the radio. Make sure the television, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night, the the phone. Make sure that kids hear words. A kid coming from a very poor school a very poor background, we'll hear 4 million words fewer spoken by the time we get there. Re- record player, dude, put on the uh, MP3 player or the uh, device from Amazon who shall not be named lest it starts yelling at me right now. Time Magazine editor and MSNBC analyst Anand Giridharadas, uh, I can't pronounce your name, sorry, man, Giri Daradas went after Biden for that answer in a tweet thread accusing him of racism. Joe Biden's answer on how to address the legacy of slavery was appalling and disqualifying. Oh, that's what's this. Not Beto O'Rourke saying we should subvert the Constitution using big tech monopolies, but sure. It ended in a sermon implying that black parents don't know how to raise their own children. This cannot go on. Giri, da- Giri Daradas said, Giri Daradas. So I'm not, I'm not trying to be a dick. I, I'm, you know, the commentator, the commentator also tweeted, is this not one of the most explicitly racist moments of all time in a Democratic primary debate? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what you're trying to say. So let's, let's read this. He says, here's my transcript of Joe Biden's record player moment. Asked about his past comments denying responsibility as a white man for America's sins. He gave an answer insinuating that black parents don't know how to raise their kids. So it looks like they have, all right, it looks like the, he, he, he brings up the thing I read earlier about putting on the record player. I, I don't quite understand the point he's trying to make. Uh, well, let's, let, let's, let's read through here, and then I'll go to his tweet to try and understand what about it's racist. He's saying they don't know how to raise kids because they're not putting on music. I mean, isn't that a reference to, like, poor people in general? Is that an elite? I, look, man, who would have thought Biden would actually make it through this unscathed? Of course, they're going to call him racist. There's nothing he can do about it. Congratulations, Democrats. You've played yourselves. 
Anand says the record player moment may be what finally reveals Biden's bankruptcy. A staggering two minutes in our politics. America's gravest, most persistent injustice recast as parental ignorance. It is a whole new level of racism to say that the way to repair the legacy of slavery is for black people to stop refusing to give music to their kids. Well, I'd certainly call it ignorant. I wouldn't call it racist, but of course they'll call anything racist. This is easily the defining moment of today's Dem debate, and it deserves more media scrutiny. This is the front runner, currently the most likely nominee. This is how he talks about African-Americans who are the beating heart of his party. Yeah, I'll tell you what, man. I don't believe, look, Democrats are going to be slapped and smeared left and right all day and night. It's never going to end. When you're in the front, when you're number one, the blue shell comes for you. And that's what Joe Biden's going to get. Of course, though, the woke left will call literally anybody racist, but they're going to go after Biden, not just for that, but because he's a white man. They've done the same thing for Bernie Sanders. Some feminists have said they don't care. They won't vote for Bernie because he's a dude. This is what you get when you play identity politics, okay? There are good things about it, and there are bad things. When you become overt identitarians, don't be surprised when they go after your front runner and probably your best chance of beating Trump simply for the color of his skin. Let's read on. Uh, Jamil Smith, a writer for Rolling Stone, published a column calling for Biden to drop out of the race. Okay, sure. All right, Biden, drop out. You know what? Biden shouldn't drop out for being racist. He should drop out because I'm not, and I, I got to say this carefully. Look, man, his teeth fell out while he was debating. Okay. I get it. Dentures, denture cream, you know, things fall out. But at a certain point, Biden, you slur all the time. You just need to endorse someone and bow out. Ignore the haters. They're going to lie, cheat and steal. But someone asked him a question. Biden slurs all the time. And a lot of people probably assumed it was because of old age. Technically, that's true. It's probably due to the fact that his dentures keep slipping. I'm not trying to be mean, but at a certain point, you just can't do this. Let's read on. Jamil Smith said, yes, I'm serious. We have a racist president with racist policies and Democrats need an anti-racist nominee. Joe Biden keeps showing us that he isn't up to the task. Oh, I'm just so completely sick of all of this. His debate meltdown proved that once again, he should step aside. The stakes are too high, Smith said. CNN's Angela Rye called the answer victim blaming. I think it is also highly problematic that Joe Biden has not yet dealt with whether or not he has a black agenda. I am just so tired of not hearing anything about anything. You know what, man? Trump, Trump deserves to win if this is the best the Democrats and the left have to offer. If they don't stand up to Twitter, if they go on stage and answer these stupid, ridiculous questions and play the stupid game, you get what you deserve. And Donald Trump is that president. When Donald Trump won, I laughed. Why? The Democrats deserved it. They had a chance to put Bernie up. They had a chance to actually win. Instead, they decided to play crony politics and they thought they were going to win and they lost and they deserved it. Today, they're doing the same thing. Well, they're doing something slightly different, okay? They're playing stupid political games and they're going to get a Trump victory and they deserve it. And I'll tell you this, I, I really do think Trump is going to win 2020 and I'm going to laugh when he does. And, and you know, I, I've talked to people and they say, Tim, but what about all the rights that are being stripped away? Oh, calm down. The president can't do that much. You're, you're overreacting. 
He's going to be gone in 2024 and you'll have another chance to regroup. But you know what? It's your own damn fault. Okay. I don't know what you expect when you keep doing this. Okay. You want Biden, Biden out as Bill Maher said, do I want Biden to be president? Not really, but is the only one who beats Trump in Ohio. That's a Bill Maher quote. I, I get it. I get it. Okay. Biden is like B grade Obama. If you want to try to go up against Trump, you, you have to at least work with Biden. Now, personally, I think Biden should probably drop out because of his age. But what is your best shot? And I still think they're going to lose. When it's your best shot, this is how they treat it. Because to them, they don't care about strategy or tact. They don't care about why Trump got elected. And it's this. They call Joe Biden racist for making a stupid one-off comment about records or something. Yeah. People don't want weakness as their, for their president. So they'll choose the boorish, crass, immature man that is Donald Trump. Why? Because it's going to push people around. But what, what, what they're doing with the cancel culture, wokeness, everybody's racist all the time. It, it makes people angry and it makes people vote for Trump just because they're like, you know, what, I'm done. I will tell you this. Joe Biden supporters, people who actually are like diehard about the guy. And that's probably a small group, not the majority. There's probably a lot of people who like Biden who are getting angrier and angrier at this. Let the man run, but they're trying to destroy him as a racist, and that will stick all the way through, even if Biden gets the nomination. I, you know, I, I gotta say, I have no idea who'll get the nomination. I really don't know. But you know what, Biden? Just leave. Just walk away. It's over. I'm so sick of this, okay? Let them have their woke identitarian garbage. Just, 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 just let them have it. Next segment will be tomorrow at 10 a.m., uh, podcast at 6.30 p.m. Thanks for hanging out. I'm going to go chill. I'll see you next time.